Welcome to Research Realized, the podcast on advancing university innovation. On Research Realized, we interview thought leaders who are shepherding cutting-edge research from the academic lab through the valley of death. Welcome to Research Realized. I'm Kirsten Leute of Osage University Partners. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Nicole Mercier, Managing Director for the Office of Technology Management at Washington University in St. Louis. During her time at Washington University, as well as through her work with Autumn, formerly known as the Association of University Technology Managers, Nicole has been a leader in analyzing the disparities between male and female innovators and launching programming to help close the gap. In today's program, we'll focus on her work in these areas. Nicole, welcome to our program. Thank you, Kirsten. I appreciate being here. We're so glad to have you. Um, I'd love to start off by you talking about uh, your work in this area. I know you've been active for quite a while in this area of gender disparity. What prompted you to first start looking into the issue of gender and academic innovations and entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's a great way to kick off. Um, so at our university uh, in 2012, we we had a landmark speech from our chancellor and his speech was about making innovation and entrepreneurship more important and more prevalent at our university and it's not that it hadn't been in the past before that it was just time to sort of take it to the next level and we were going to be focusing on this as an entire institution um, as a pillar and what we were thinking in the tech transfer office was, well, we know a little bit about the disparity between how men and women participate in tech transfer and commercialization of their research. But what would happen if we took this pivotal moment, we're about to embark on something as an entire university and women fell further behind, or could we bring them along or even catch them up so much that you know, we made improvements in how they engaged. And so this was about 2013 when we started thinking um, about applying for a diversity and inclusion grant to our office of the provost. Um, and at that point, we didn't really even know what engagement and tech transfer activities were at our universities. So part of this grant was to look at how have women been engaging um, this office over probably, I think we looked for the five years initial to the program. And then, you know, could we track those metrics as we went through and also put a specific program in place to educate women, um, to help them build their networks. Um, and so really that was the impetus. We wanted, we thought it was a pivotal time to be able to think about this. We wrote the grant to the provost office, we got funded, um, and we were on our way. We started programming in 2014. Terrific. I mean, that's, that's a lot of uh, programming then to have probably gotten underway in the last five years or so. And I know you've been doing a lot of data, looking at the data as well. Um, so let's talk about some numbers. What were your initial findings at Washington University for how its women investigators uh, were performing around invention and startups? Yeah, so when we, so we looked at a number of metrics. We looked at um, generally who were we getting in the fold um, and, and sort of taking that back to the overall population of men and women. Um, so sort of we called them the creator population, who were the creators 
Um, and so we looked at raw numbers there and we looked at the percent increase in population, um, you know, sort of before the program and after the program. We looked at metrics like invention disclosures and patents. Um, it was hard to delve into licenses because that's really a long-term metric. And so while we're monitoring that and looking at it, um, just in these early years, it's hard to look at that for a metric. So when we first started our program, um, Invention disclosures came in and we probably saw 30% of those disclosures list a female on it. This past year, we, we um, I guess, gate reached parity. We were 50% of our invention disclosures listing a female on that. Um, and we were really excited by that data because the invention disclosure is obviously the first point, the first touch point of engagement um, for any innovator, whether it's male or female. Um, but you can't file patents with, that have a female innovator on them um, if you don't have disclosures that have women innovators. So. Um, so that was the, the metric that we're most excited about. We also looked at the relative change of the unique individuals that um, participated sort of before and after, and we saw an increase um, in uh, of 35% increase of the female faculty that were now engaging in tech transfer activities. Um, and we saw a huge increase of, uh, I think it was about 70% for non-faculty women. Um, and, and these were by far and away above and beyond what we saw in either the male faculty only population or the non-faculty uh, non male population. Um, the other thing we've looked at and we've monitored patents, um, and right now this past year, we were about 44% of our patents uh, had a women inventor on that. Um, it hasn't risen to the same extent as our invention disclosures has, um, so we're up a little bit. But what I can say is that our patent rate is actually higher anyway than when you look at some of the data that's in the literature. So I know that the USPTO um, just came out with some statistics and they showed that um, women inventors are listed on just over 20% of patents. Um, and other data looked at, you know, women being 40% less likely to file a patent than their male counterparts. So we're still looking into um, some of the patent data, but with it being 44%, that is generally higher than what we've been seeing in the literature. Um, I still think there's some other things that we can look at as indicators, um, and, and I'm starting to look at this data now. So things like, what is the primary inventor versus the non-primary inventor look like? Is there an impact on tenure? Um, or when somebody starts to engage the process. So we're always trying to look at our data and understand if there are ways to tweak. Um, but we are pretty excited about sort of the initial findings. Um, and, and I published a paper last June in Technology and Innovation Journal. And if, if somebody wants to go and look at that um, paper, you'll see sort of what happened three years prior to when we started programming and three years after. We do have a little bit more data so anyone could contact me offline, but um, that paper would sort of have the initial findings of the three years uh, prior and three years post. Terrific. You know, it's really great to hear actually about um, how the programming has actually affected your numbers uh, at Washington University. And at the end of the program, I'll ask you for your contact information that you can provide then to the people who are listening to the program. 
Um, so thanks for bringing that up. Sure. You know, when, when you were looking at this, what were some of the main issues you actually found that led to greater hurdles for women in the academic innovation and entrepreneurship spaces? Yes, there are a lot of barriers and, and, and differences, I guess, generally in how women approach thinking about tech transfer or commercialization of their work. Um, so, so I would put barriers as distinct to just differences in how women do approach this. But I think women um, perceive their science differently. And some of this, you can go back into the literature and look. Um, there's, there's a lot of descriptions around these differences. Um, but women sort of think about it differently in, in readiness. Is my science ready to be disclosed to a tech transfer office? Um, and oftentimes men perceive that their science is, is good enough. And there's that old adage of when, um, you know, if you look at a job description and it lists 10 characteristics, um, a man might think, oh, I've got four of those and I'm, I'm fine to apply for that job. And a woman might think, well, I only have eight of them, so I don't know if I'm going to apply. I think we can think of how we approach science and the readiness for um, you know, tech transfer offices or the appeal to a tech transfer office. The other thing that's described sort of around this science area is how women or men talk about their science. And so sometimes men um, might make greater leaps than the, the data they actually have. Um, and women are a, a little bit more hesitant to sort of make these grandiose statements. And I don't think either is right or wrong. It's just um, the natural perception of a man versus a woman. But it does impact how they engage in tech transfer. Um, other factors might be sort of what do we have on our plate at the moment? We all know that women tend to take on more of the role in the home, um, whether that's our fault or not. Um, and we tend to take on things like childcare more or elder care. And so some of these um, we all know that engaging in tech transfer is an extracurricular activity, and it's hard to sometimes put this extracurricular activity in front of taking care of a parent or a child. Um, it's sort of included in that is something that we colloquially refer to as the female tax, where women might have more um, um, it might have to sit on committees more than their male counterparts because committees are looking to have a diversity of members and there's less women um, and there's less women that are tenured. And so, uh, you know, you can kind of see as you sort of drill down that women might need to be represented on multiple committees, but there's enough men that maybe they sit on one each. And so that takes away from the time that a female can spend on extracurricular activities. Um, it's been demonstrated that women and men have different uh, experiences or perspectives on risk taking um, and that the profiles of a female might be a little bit more risk averse, um, which I think sort of goes back to the first thing that I was saying about how do you speak about your science or how do you think about it re readiness for disclosure. Um, you know, in, in a risk profile, she might not be willing to sort of step out and talk to an entrepreneur because she's not really sure that she has the right language or something like that. Um, and then, you know, I'll, I'll sort of, there, there's a lot more, but I'll sort of hit on the three that are seminal to our program. Um, one big one is that women are not always invited and women need that invitation. And so our program really centers around Inviting people, making sure that they know that they, we want them to be part of this. Um, also, lack of familiarity with the language of tech transfer, commercialization. So recognizing that not everybody has that language and um, 
ensuring that, you know, even if people are at ground zero or maybe somebody's at level 10 or somebody's at level 15, you sort of bring everybody along so that everybody can start speaking the same language and feels comfortable then approaching an entrepreneur with a conversation. Um, and the final aspect that, you know, it, our program is really predicated on is a distinction in how women have networks. Um, and, you know, they tend to be um, more female-based and they might not extend to industry and penetrate industry in the same way that a male um, faculty member might have industry ties and collaborations. Um, and so some of these come into play when you start thinking about tech transfer and what somebody might have engaged in or not prior to thinking about even disclosing an invention. Um, and I know that was a lot to take in, <laughs> um, but I tried to sort of set it up so that those last three are really how we've thought about our program. Great, well, so talking about um, the program itself that you launched in 2014, Women in Technology, can you describe mm -hmm. actually what the program does, um, how, they, how they build their, uh, the people who attend it, and then what the, the people who attend it actually uh, get out of the program, learn, uh, network, et cetera? Yes, absolutely. And so um, when we first started talking about um, this as a program, we thought about it very differently in the early days than we do now. Um, and But it, again, it was sort of predicated on, one, we need to invite pe people to participate. Two, we need to provide them the language of commercialization, tech transfer, patents, sort of all those things that go into it. And we need to build in a component for, that, for, for the participants to really expand their networks, understand what opportunities exist locally in our ecosystem and nationally that might be something that they could take part of. And so when we first started thinking about it um, and kicking this off, it was really a cohort model. Um, now we've moved to a model that's um, more inclusive and I'll sort of talk about the differences and why, why we did it that way. Um, but the sort of what we talk about, whether it was a cohort model or this expanded model has been consistent. Um, it really is, um, you know, what is a patent? Why is a patent important? Um, how can you think about your research in terms of getting useful patent claims that might um, be of interest to a company. What is tech transfer? How do I even contact my tech transfer? Those are really the basic things, right? Um, but then there's the whole, what is a company and why would I wanna start one? And how do I go about that? How do I think about it? What's the difference between a traditional license and um, a license to my startup? And what are the things that I need to think about in a traditional license context versus what do I need to think about if I want to start my own company. So all of that information, <clears throat> we try to, you know, sort of give in a year, um, recognizing that people are at different places. But when we first started, like I said, we really wanted to make sure that we brought everybody along. And so we started at ground zero with everybody. And so we did this cohort model where we probably had about 25 faculty members sign up for, I think it was four different sessions, and we went over those topics that I just explained, and each one had different speakers, um, sometimes speakers that sort of the, I look like you, I can identify with you, I know that you, because you look like me, and I recognize that, 
um, I think that you understand my challenges and therefore I'm a little bit more vulnerable with maybe asking the questions that I would be uncomfortable to ask somebody else. So guest speakers, lectures, um, and then every, every um, session had people from our ecosystem just coming in with, um, you know, sort of wine and cheese to talk to one another. And we introduced um, different programs that were in an ecosystem that faculty could use. We ran it that way probably for, I think it was three years. And then um, we've been doing an annual symposium now model for about three years. And um, the reason we moved to the symposium model was that we could, we now had sort of created a base of a network of people who were coming to this um, time after time. And this was an opportunity to deliver more information to more people. Um, but we've also built in other opportunities to engage and sort of give some expanded information that we didn't have in that first cohort model. So for example, um, we, what we do now is we always have a kickoff where um, it's usually a luncheon and we have a great speaker who has started her own company or has had a really successful license agreement um, come and talk to the women that are there. Um, but it's, you know, an opportunity for everyone to say, hey, yeah, remember me from last year? We're starting this over again and we're all still part of this you know, um, motion to make a difference in how women engage in, in tech transfer and commercialization. So we usually kick off the year that way. That leads us into our symposium, which is a day-long event of um, panels and keynote speakers and dialogue about um, solutions to the problem. What can we do now to make a difference? And then um, I, we usually try to have a few ad hoc um, uh, sessions, I guess, where we sort of use this invitation-only model. Um, so, for example, an example of that might be there's a visitor from Eli Lilly coming, and I know they're coming for another purpose, but I say, hey, um, you know, visitor from Eli Lilly, can you please meet with a small group of faculty? And I don't want you to talk about Eli Lilly. I really just want to have a conversation around what is the best way for a researcher to engage um, you as an industry person. Or if um, I have a patent attorney coming on campus, I might do the same thing. Hey, could we just have a small sit down with a select group of innovators who I know are in the small molecule space to talk about, you know, how do you, how do you get good claims in the small molecule space? So they're very targeted and specific, um, but I would say that those are more ad hoc, um, trying to meet the needs of people who maybe uh, know the basics, but need a little bit more. and to keep them continued, keep them in the fold rather than, okay, I've learned everything I can learn out of that program and I'm ready to go on. But this, it, you know, keeping them in the fold makes them come to the symposium and the luncheon every year where they're meeting newer um, inventors and they can sort of be the next role models. Right, right. I like that, that idea actually of, of people who've gone through this, they've seen the value, they can come back and, you know, be a role model or a mentor for those who are, you know, coming into the fold with a new program. And it just, it helps the, um, that network effect that you were talking earlier about um, creating that for, for the women who uh, end up being a part of this program. Not just women, but the men too that are, they're, they're coming in yeah. and helping out. Um, and, and it helps grow that community that you're trying to build around this area. 
Yes, and we are seeing more men attend our symposium, which is exciting. And I think, um, again, moving away from the cohort model has enabled us to bring in those different populations. But I do feel um, very strongly that we had to start with the cohort model or we wouldn't have gained traction. But now that we have, um, we are able to bring different voices into the conversation, which has been a, a real benefit. And we see, um, you know, strong support from you know, places like our Dean of Engineering, um, who who is saying now, you know, we really want you to program in engineering for, for my team, for my faculty. And so, you know, we're starting right now to um, build out some extra stuff that might pertain only to engineering. So yeah, it really is exciting to bring in um, a big fold, but sort of keep the, keep the other people who can share their perspective and enrich the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's terrific to hear that actually about that as an outcome that people are seeing. Hey, I'd really like to apply this actually to my specific discipline as well, um, and, and you know have it more even like a uh, something that's a home, you know, it's on, on your home turf that this is actually happening, right? Uh, you know, where you're actually doing your work each day. That that's that's great to hear that they've been exactly. so supportive about it. Um, yeah, it was really exciting for us. Well, so that's not like one of the outcomes out of your program actually is that, you know, people have seen the value and wanted to actually implement it, you know, within their, their own departments and things like that. What are the, some of the other outcomes you've seen from the program and is there anything in particular that's been surprising to you? Yes. Um, so a couple of things. So I would say, you know, so, sort of further to this ne network, we do have a cadre of women inventors who actually have met each other because of this program. And, um, you know, so it, that outcome for me is really exciting to know that, you know, we really have built something where they did not have connections prior to that. Um, and then for me, you know, I've learned a lot about, you know, how women inventors think. And so, for example, I, you know, this last summer, um, we applied for an award through the Association of American Medical Colleges, and we won the award, but as part of putting together that package, I started talking to some of the women who have gone through the program um, and who have attended, you know, multiple years. And what struck me is that one of the, um, one of the quotes that I got back, uh, one of our faculty said, well, you know, when I came to Wash U, I was a researcher, and that's how I saw myself. And this program has really enabled me to see myself as an inventor. And I thought two things. One, shoot, we've only made it 50% of the way because I don't, you don't see yourself as somebody who could potentially be a faculty entrepreneur yet. And so, um, you know, women are sort of like, you know, there's like lily pads and they're jumping from one to the next to the next. And I think, um, you know, a male is more like a clover where, okay, well, here's one leaf and that's my researcher hat and here's another leaf and that's my inventor hat and here's the last leaf and that is my um, faculty entrepreneurship hat, but they're all connected. Um, and so it's, it's started, you know, I, I'm sort of getting in the mindset, I guess, of really understanding how women perceive themselves versus men. And I think because of that, I'm able to think about the program in a different way. So um, maybe that's not, you know, maybe I was hoping for a different outcome, um, but at least it's an outcome that now I can kind of think about and chew on and say, well, what can we do about that? Um, so, you know, there's some of those things that I think we're always going to be iterating on this topic just because men and women approach it differently. And so we should um, 
think about their engagement with our offices differently? And are we targeting them in the right way? Um, so, you know, it's a great outcome for me to think about, you know, differences and how do we challenge ourselves as a tech transfer office to take on more and make a difference. That's terrific. And, you know, Nicola, you've been a leader in this area now for quite a number of years, and I'm sure that you're seeing things at other universities and organizations that they're uh, now doing in, in this area. Could you talk a little bit about what you're, you're seeing in those areas? Yeah, yeah. So, um, actually, the Women Innovators Committee through Autumn um, has, some, has done some work on what are the, what are the programs that are out there um, with different universities and they seem to be very different so it's great um, that you know there could be different models for different schools and depending on what you're trying to get out of it and so for example um, Ohio State University won a reach award through the NSF or, or sorry an advance award through NSF and um, their whole program has really now grown into a university sustained effort um, and their focus has been on recruitment and retention, but one of their programs is reach for commercialization. This one, unlike our program, which is, um, I would say our program is pretty broad. We're thinking about innovators and getting more innovators, getting more inventors, getting more entrepreneurs. Their program is really more around entrepreneurship. Um, the University of Florida has one as well. Uh, I think it's called EWITS, and it's empowering women in tech startups. And their program is also around entrepreneurships, but it's really focused on, um, you know, the faculty population and the postdoc population. So there's different efforts that are going on that are really exciting to see. So if somebody's looking for, um, you know, to do something at their own institution, there's a lot of models out there. Um, and then, you know, there's also other groups like the Association for Women in Science that have a STEM to Market Accelerator. And it's focused on, um, women entrepreneurs, but it's more of a holistic approach trying to serve, you know, what I talked about as, as an original barrier, what women deal with in their home personal life can in fact affect their business um, or their startup or, you know, thinking about doing a faculty startup. And so how do we support all of that so that we can make a real difference? Um, so yeah, it's really exciting to see the different programs that are out there. I, I'm certainly having conversations with other tech transfer offices about what we're doing here at WashU. Um, and I guess they're sort of searching as to what parts of what WashU's program is that they can apply to their own institution. Um, but I'm happy to, you know, sort of serve as a sounding board to think about, you know, how would you adapt it for your university? That's that's great. I, thanks so much for, for volunteering that. I'm sure you're going to get uh, a plethora of emails and phone calls after this. <laughs> and, and, no problem. <laughs> good. good. Um, and we actually, I, I did have the pleasure of actually talking with Mary Uhas last year um, also about, uh, about the uh, advanced program and particularly the REACH program at, at Ohio State University as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's really nice to see all of these programs um, cropping up and, um, uh, you know, changing perhaps how uh, women and, and uh, researchers, et cetera, think about themselves um, as far as innovators. And, you know, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I, you know, not just the researchers and the innovators, but I think it's also important to bring the conversation into the tech transfer office um, because it, it changes the way the licensing team and the other members of the office 
you know, approach it because we all have some sort of unconscious bias and, you know, being aware of that is important. And so the more that you have a conversation around this in your different offices, it just sort of keeps it relevant to say, yeah, we, everybody wants to do the right thing. Everybody wants to operate without these unconscious bias. Um, but acknowledging that they might be there and having a dialogue to say, this is important to us. Um, it sort of keeps it in everybody's mind. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, and, you know, with regards to the tech transfer offices in particular, are, are there any things that you could recommend since a lot of our listeners are from those areas that you could, uh, that they could be doing to encourage people in this area? Yes, I love this question because I often get this question um, asked a little bit of a different way. Well, you know, you had this grant that you wrote to the provost office and so you started with money. And um, we don't have any funding. We don't know where, where we would get funding for this. So I don't know how we're going to do a program. I can think of a thousand ways to do this without money. Um, one, we've now moved to a model where we get um, funding from some of the law firms that we work with. And so they have been very eager in putting um, you know, sponsorships on the table for us. We've gotten sponsorships from other local entities in our um, ecosystem as well to be able to put on this symposium each year. But even without that, it's very easy. Somebody is already bringing, um, like I said, somebody's already bringing Eli Lilly to your campus. So when Eli Lilly's coming, just ask them to, if they could stop by for lunch. Lunch is super cheap. Breakfast is even cheaper. It's just a little conversation. And when we, the first, the very first time we did this, um, we said, okay, we're gonna invite um, this industry partner to WashU, who's already coming here, and we're gonna do it through lunch, and we're gonna invite 15 faculty members, and maybe we'll get seven or eight, and that's gonna be a great number for this type of conversation. We got 14 out of 15 saying they wanted to come, and the 15th said, please, if you do this again, let me know. And again, it was just that, we think you're a good person to come to this conversation because, and every one of them responded yes. So I think those, that is a very easy way to start building a network of <clears throat> women or even, you know, it doesn't even have to be women. It could be any underserved population, uh, underrepresented minority that you could do this for. But these small dialogues are really meaningful and they don't have to be expensive. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are really good points. I love, I love the out of the box thinking, but also using the resources that you have um, to, you know, to, and using them better in a way that will um, yeah. promote these uh, networks and dialogues that you're trying to encourage. So, so now looking to the future, um, what are some big areas and ideas that you haven't seen addressed or proposed yet that you would love to see um, someone do something on or perhaps uh, Washington University do something on? Yeah, thank you for that question. I'm really excited because we are thinking about um, how do we take this program to the next level? Uh, and I think I, I alluded to this at the beginning with the quote that I heard from um, one of our faculty members about sort of sequentially seeing herself as a researcher and, and then an inventor. And so now we are asking the question, how do we push more people into this entrepreneurship? How do we push more women into entrepreneurship? Most universities are focused on startups right now and driving more um, licenses through startups and getting startups funding. Um, because it's a great way to then build the next partnership with um, an existing company. 
But, and I know you know this data, but Osage University Partners put out a study on, you know, their database of women founded companies and only 11% of the companies in the portfolio had women um, as founders. When we looked at the, when we started our program, we had zero. Um, so we had no women who had started a company and were, were a founder. Um, we now have two, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's infinite. In infinitely more than what we did have. Um, and we also have two other women who, whose company, who have startup companies, though they're not the founders, but their tech was really the basis for it. They just decided not to, um, to go forward. Um, so in that capacity, we really do have four, but we're looking still at about 3% of the companies that we have. And I would argue um, that Osage has some heavy hitter university partners that might have more and maybe WashU is sort of more representative of what a mainstream university might have um, in terms of female founders. So I really think that's a problem. I think there's a lot in many ecosystems for women entrepreneurs, but because our academic women do not identify themselves as an entrepreneur, they're not gonna participate in sort of the outside program. So we really need to think about how are we going to tackle this within the university? And so one of the things that we are doing next year um, in conjunction with our symposium is to build in a national pitch day. So we'll be reaching out to all of your tech transfer offices um, to see who might be primed um, to participate in this. Who are the women that have techs that are you know, ready to talk about startups? And can we pair them up with mentors? Um, you know, for a certain period of time prior to the pitch day so that they feel really confident in getting to there. And we will be bringing in investors and corporates to be listening and to talk um, and, and sort of build that network. And so maybe maybe a company formation comes out of that, but maybe lots of relationships come out of it and eventually companies form out of it. But I think that is what we need to start doing to support our female um, faculty members Encouraging them to do startups, encouraging them that they really truly can be a faculty entrepreneur. That's really great to hear about this uh, event. Um, thanks for mentioning that to, to our listeners. So this is going to be in 2020, right? It is. Terrific. I'm sure people will be hearing more about that uh, soon then. But in the Very soon. Great. We're, we're excited about that. Um, <laughs> I have to say, Nicole, it's been such a pleasure to be able to talk with you today about this area. You know, I remember seeing many years ago um, your initial presentation, I think it was at Dartmouth many, many years ago. Uh, oh, know, wow. Yes. It was quite a long time ago about, you know, what you've been looking at and, and some of the program that you were working on um, and, and thinking at the time, boy, we should be doing this, you know, when I went back, this was Stanford. So I'm really glad to see how far it's come along. I did get to attend, you know, your, your recent WIT symposium and was just blown away, um, not only by the quality of the panelists and the speakers, but by the attendees and the great interest. You know, everyone stuck around and talked for a long time. People came from all over um, to be a part of this. So and congratulations, first of all, to you and to Washington University for um, for you know, developing these efforts, um, putting together these programs in this community. Um, and I know people would love to learn more. So um, I, will, I will ask the question now, how can people reach you to learn more about the, you know, the programs that you put together? Absolutely, and thank you, um, you know, for, for the congratulatory. We're very excited about where the programs come. Um, 
and that you attended. <laughs> and let's see, my contact information is um, on our website, I guess would be the best way to find it, which is otm.wustl.edu. Um, you can just click on there and find me and you will get both my phone number and my email address. Then feel free to contact me either way. Perfect. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining our program today. Kirsten, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Research Realized. Who else would you like to hear from on our program? Please send an email to me at kleute at osagepartners.com. In the meantime, keep your eye on the goal of making an impact with those academic innovations.